It's hard to talk somebody out of an experience, isn't it? Yeah. Believe it or not, in a 2012 survey, 29% of Americans said that they believe in a Bigfoot, Sasquatch type of animal that's living out in the, the wild somewhere. 29%. I mean, that's, that's over a quarter of, um, of adult Americans that say that there is compelling proof that there is a Bigfoot. Now, in another survey, almost the same amount of American adults said there was not compelling proof for the existence of God. 20, it was 23%. 23% of adult Americans said they, they claimed to either be atheist, agnostic, or had absolutely no religious belief at all. Now, I don't believe in Bigfoot. Because I've never seen compelling proof of Bigfoot, what would it take for me to believe in Bigfoot and experience? Grainy photos, somebody's story, some cast made out of mud that's supposed to look like a great Bigfoot, that doesn't do it for me. But if I woke up one night and there was this big hairy monster in my backyard, I would believe I've had a lot of conversations with non-believers over the years, people that did not have a belief in God, in Jesus, and I walk away from almost all of them thinking, man, they really do want to believe. Because I don't believe in, in Bigfoot, but I kind of hope that there is one. <laughs> I just kind of, you know, it'd just be kind of cool. And I have these conversations with non-believers and I walk away from, from our conversation thinking they, they, they kind of want to believe. You know how I know that? It's because most of the time when they tell me about their, their disbelief, it's not that, that um, there's, there's nothing out there. It's because of the poor experiences they've had with people that claim to believe. So, uh, as elusive as Bigfoot maybe, there's another elusive creature out there, according to unbelievers, and that's Christians that live their faith outside of church. So we're even in a series called Christian Atheist. I believe in God, but I don't always live like it. And today, our message is called, I believe in God, but I don't live my faith outside of church. Subtitle, Bigfoot, Real Christians, and Other Mythological Beasts. Luke 19, Luke 19, starting in verse 2, says there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was rich. Not everybody has big problems, but they need Jesus. They may have a good job, but they need Jesus. They may have a good marriage, but they need Jesus. 
They may live on your street and build additions onto their houses. They may buy RV buses and take a whole year off and go travel around the country only to come back and build a really nice garage where they work on Corvettes all day. This is hypothetical. But they need Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't seem to have a lot of problems. He had a really good job. He had a lot of money. But he needed Jesus. And there's some things that we can see from his story about living our faith outside of the church. Going on in verse 3, the first part of verse 3, it says, Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus. Here's my first point. People want to see Jesus. People want to see Jesus. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and this is out of the Amplified Version, it says, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Don't believe the lie that they don't want to see Jesus. God has put something in the heart of every person born on this planet that longs to connect with God. And we fall for this lie that people don't want anything to do with God. So don't believe that. There's a longing inside of them that only God can satisfy. But we have to be real because the only way that they're going to see Jesus is through us. It would be wonderful if Jesus just appeared to everybody like he did Paul. But that's not the way that it usually happens. People see Jesus through us. So if we are to be showing Jesus, what are people seeing? Now do not, for one second, think this is going to be a sermon about beating you up for not witnessing or anything like that, okay? The moment that that a pastor starts talking about these things, you can feel people kind of start slinking down in their chairs kind of pulling the curtains, going, I hope this one doesn't last too long. That's not what I'm here to do, all right? I want you to hear that you are on this planet for a purpose. There is purpose in you. God will use you. People will see Jesus through you. When is it hard for them to see Jesus through us when we're so caught up in us? So we've got to be real for people to see Jesus. And how, how can we be real with people? We can't be offended by their stuff. People got stuff. You got stuff. I've got stuff. Everybody's got stuff. We kind of pack it away and try to put a bow on it while we're sitting in church. Oh, my stuff is not too bad. But you know, outside of the church, they don't even try to pretend. They just got stuff. We can't be offended by the stuff. We can't be offended by their lifestyles. We cannot be offended by their vocabularies. We cannot be offended by their questions. Because they want to see Jesus. 
And if we spend all of our time being offended at everything that somebody outside of the church does, they're never going to see Jesus. So we need to make it okay for them to hang out with us. It has to be okay for unbelievers to hang out with us. It has to be okay for people that are going through things to hang out with us. Jesus didn't have to seek to hang out with sinners because they wanted to hang out with him. They were drawn to him. And people are going to be drawn to the Jesus in you. And when people see Jesus, he's irresistible. When they really see Jesus, he is irresistible. Back to verse 3. It says, Jesus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Here's the second thing. We need to be sure we're not in the way. We need to be sure that we're not in the way. Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus, but people were in the way. We cannot be in the way of people seeing Jesus. We would never intentionally keep somebody from seeing Jesus, but our actions, and sometimes our lack of actions, do just that. So here's my message within a message. Here's three quick ways that we unintentionally keep people from seeing Jesus. Number one, our lack of spiritual passion. Our lack of spiritual passion. The problem is when we're not passionate about our own spiritual growth, we won't have a passion to live Jesus in front of people. When you're passionate about who you are in Christ Jesus, when you're passionate about your relationship, you can't help it. It just comes off of you and out of you. It flows from who you are. If people are supposed to see Jesus in us, what are they seeing? We can't have the the excuse of a busy lifestyle. Making sure that that people see Jesus needs to be on our to-do list. If we're too busy to live for Jesus, we need to question whether he lives in us. And our lack of spiritual passion can be seen in a lack of serving, a lack of giving, and a lack of discipling. And once again, I'm talking about outside the church. We want you to serve. We want you to give. We want you to disciple in the church. But outside of the church, are we serving people? Are we giving? And are we discipling? I read a biography this week on Malcolm X. And if you're not aware of, of who Malcolm X was, he was a, a, a Muslim uh, uh, radical black man who helped the nation of Islam uh, be established here in the United States back in the 1950s and the, the 1960s. And you may be saying, well, why would you be reading a biography on him? Because I want to know. I want to know. What drives somebody to some place? I wanted to know about him. Because growing up at the time that he was growing up in, 
There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of poverty. There was, I just wanted to see what drove him to be who he was. And I'm not going to say that I was surprised. But before he ever even connected with Islam, he had been in the church. His daddy was a Baptist preacher. He had seen church. He had been around church. But what he saw was church and not Jesus. And this is kind of paraphrased, but, he, but this, is, this is basically what he said. He said that he turned away from Christianity because of the way Christians loved Jesus in church but acted like the devil out of church. And I sit there and I'm reading about this man who, who was so charismatic. Reading about this man who, who obviously could draw people to him, who could inspire people. And I'm thinking... What if he had seen Jesus? What if he had seen Jesus instead of seeing people playing church? What kind of impact could he have made? Because he did make an impact. But what could it have been if he had seen Jesus? My heart just broke. As I was reading it. We have to have spiritual passion. Also, we cannot have a fake love for people. We cannot have an insincere love for people. We cannot have a love that's more about me than others. That I serve just to be seen. Or I serve because it makes me feel good about me. Because there's going to be times when we're asked to serve. You're not going to feel good about it. Jesus did not feel good about crawling up on that cross. In fact, he said, Lord, if we can do this some other way, I'd prefer to do it some other way. But there's times that we serve because it's better for others. We can't be more concerned with fixing someone than loving someone. Sometimes we get so, I'm going to say this without getting in trouble. You're going to listen to what I say. You're not going to misquote me on this. I love the word of God, okay? I love the Word of God, but this is a book. This is a book. I don't worship the book. I worship the God of the book, okay? The Word without the Spirit can shackle people, and if we spend so much time without the Spirit trying to make somebody be something... You know, you can take this book, as beautiful and as wonderful as it is, as full of of wisdom that it is, this book has been used to prop up slavery. This book has been used as an excuse for misogyny. We can't spend all of our time trying to make somebody something if we don't love them. And if you're just taking the word and beating somebody with it, you don't love them. Doesn't make the word not true. 
Because on the other, on the other side, we can't be so relevant that we squeeze out the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the, the gospel message is always going to be relevant. But we can't spend all of our time trying to talk people or, or, or excusing something. Are y'all following with me? <laughs> okay. It's kind, of, it's kind of like this, and I've used this example many, many times. But it's, it's, it's like bowling. You can go bowling. There's a target down there. All of, our life is the ball. The pins are the, are the kingdom of God, the target, the, the impact that we're having in life, right? And we're going down that alleyway. But veer a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, you're going to be in the gutter, right? Now, guess what? What happens to that ball when it gets in the gutter? It still makes it to the end, right? But there's no impact. There's no impact. We can roll along in the gutter, but we're not going to have any impact. So what God does, the Spirit of God comes along, and he breathes on this word right here, and the bumpers get put up. So we're, we may be bouncing around, but you know what? When this is our direction, we're going to make it to the end. And we can't be those that love only when it's, when it's convenient. Because love is inconvenient. Sometimes it makes us feel good, you know. Oh, I talked to so-and-so at church and I prayed for them and everything. That's great. Thank you for doing that. But when they're calling you at 3 o'clock in the morning, because whatever you guys prayed about ain't working, that's when it's inconvenient. Or when you've had the same conversation with them 10 times, that's when it's inconvenient. You know, we're good about saying, oh, brother, sister, I'll pull you out of the ditch. And we'll do it that first time. Then they slide back down into the ditch. And we go and we say, oh, I'll pull you out again. And then they slide back down into the ditch. You pull them out again. You turn around, they're looking at the ditch. You just kick them in. <laughs> you were going that way anyhow. Love is inconvenient at times. How many times have we needed to be pulled out of the ditch? Here's the, my last point in my, my mini-sermon before I actually get back to the real sermon. Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. That's what keeps us from living Jesus outside of the church is fear of rejection. Research shows that only one in four people in the United States are resistant to a conversation about faith. One in four. That same survey said that 40% 40 of the people would be receptive to genuine concern about their eternal future and 35% would be neutral to your concern. That's 75% that are open to a spiritual conversation and are okay with your concern for them. But fear of rejection, it keeps us from doing that. It's unfounded. 
And really, it's an excuse for not living God's command to make disciples. So we don't want to be an obstacle to people seeing Jesus and knowing his love. All right, back to Luke 19. We're still in verse 3, but we're going to get into verse 4. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Here's the third point that we can take away from the story of Zacchaeus on how to live for Jesus outside of the church. Look for people in trees. Keep your eyes open for those who are already making an effort because they're usually easy pickings. John 4.35 says, and this is Jesus speaking, says, do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are already white for harvest. Lift up your eyes and look. We need to be in the place where we're saying, Lord, help me see. Help me see. Start a conversation with somebody. I know that makes some of you nervous, but it's okay. Some place that you've got a captive audience. Just listen. Listen to God. I'm not saying that you have to, to do this every time. But I try to make a practice of, of talking to my servers when I go to a restaurant. You know why? Because they will listen. You know why they're going to listen? Because they want me to like them so I will give them a bigger tip. They're not going to shut me down. And I just wait for that prompting of the Lord. Number one, just be nice to people. But number two, you never know what kind of conversation will come out of that. There has been three, four, five times that I can remember that Lisa and I going to a restaurant that, that we've just talked to the server and they've sat down and talked to us. I'm like, don't you have a job? There is somebody that is not getting a refill of tea right now. But they're just pulled into the conversation. There's been times where they'll bring the food and they'll say, is there anything else we can get for you? Well, you know what? We're about to pray over this food. Anything I can pray for you? I've never had anybody go, how dare you ask if you can pray for me? There, there was a time that, that, that Lisa and I were, were at a restaurant and we just kept talking to our server. And she came home and she said, well, I'm about to, to, to get off my shift. Uh, so-and-so will be, will be with you. And said, so, well, thank you. Great. She goes and she clocks out and she comes back. Lisa and I were sitting on the same side of the booth and she sat down with us. She wanted to see Jesus. So start a conversation. Do something. Share your story. There's always these little, these little intros when somebody says something like, well, you know what, I've just been sick. Well, you know what, I used to be sick too, but God healed me. Can I tell you about that? People like to hear testimonies. People like to hear testimonies. Tell them your story. There is a reason that you are there at that moment. Share a testimony. And there's even these, these awesome ways to do, to do soft evangelism. 
I understand people are, are introverts, and that's, that's who you are. There is nothing wrong with being who you are, okay? Don't hear me saying, well, you just got to be this loud person and dance around for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. You be who you are. That's a way of sharing Jesus. If you look, God will show you the people who are white for harvest. All right, back to Luke. It's going to be our last point. Luke 19, verses 5 and 6, says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. So here's, here's the fourth thing that we can, we can learn. Jesus knew his name. Before we ever come to Jesus, he already knows us intimately. He knows all about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows our true identity. He knows our true destiny because he's the one that planted destiny in our hearts. Remember that from Ecclesiastes? So our true identity can only be found in him. Are we willing to know them so they can know him? Are we willing to know somebody's name? Are we willing to reach out? The end of Jesus' story here, out of Luke, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It was his mission. Jesus said, this is why I came. I came to seek and save the lost. He didn't say he came to, uh, to, to pat on the church. Now, we love it when he does that, don't we? He loves us so much. He does. But he said, this is the really the reason that I came, to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. It was the first church's mission. It's this church's mission. The first part of our mission statement is connect with God. Right? It's our mission. And it's our responsibility as believers. I read a story told by a pastor, a pastor from Washington. And he told the story about when an 18-year-old girl came to his church. And she sat there and, and she heard... Uh, a gospel message for the first time. Now, the next week, she wrote a letter to this pastor. And I'm going to read part of it to you. Dear pastor, last Sunday I attended your church and I heard you preach. In your sermon, you said that everyone has sinned. And because of that, people who don't know Jesus face eternal separation from God. And then you also said God loves us and sent his son Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins so that all those who believe would go to heaven and live with God eternally. My parents recently died in rapid succession. I know they didn't believe in Jesus. And if what you preach is true, they're in hell. I must say that either you and your church don't believe this message 
or you don't care about people. We live only three blocks from your church, and no one ever told us, you and your church are hypocrites. I don't want that to ever be said about New Covenant. I don't want that to ever be said about us, and I don't believe it will because we love people. We love people. Bigfoot probably isn't real. But followers of Jesus need to be real. We need to be the proof that people are looking for to see Jesus, to believe in God. We aren't their Savior, but we need to be a neon sign pointing to Jesus. What do I want you to know? People do want to see Jesus, and they should be seeing him through us. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel the same compassion that Jesus felt when he saw Zacchaeus in that tree. What do I want you to do? I want you to look up and see that the fields are ready for harvest. Allow the Lord to show you people in trees. And then step out, as an old evangelist used to say, and plunder hell to populate heaven. <laughs> 